You know where NetHack? No. NetHack, you know what a roguelike is? Yes, I only play roguelikes. NetHack was the basically the first one. It's an ASCII game that runs in a fucking DOS prompt. Uh, the first roguelike is, is Rogue. No, that is the first Rogue. It is not like Rogue, it is Rogue. That is the first Rogue. Okay, fine. So you mean after Rogue there came NetHack? Yes. Okay. NetHack is probably like the oldest and most popular. Uh... But there's... I thought the first roguelike was Binding of Isaac. <laughs> it was. Uh, but it, sometimes if you walk around, you'll trigger traps. One of the traps is uh, rocks fall, everyone dies. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that's a very famous uh, like joke that people repeat on the internet. Yeah. So uh, I thought it was about Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, so, yeah. That's dead money as the rocks fall, everyone dies. You're attacked by a Gru. You're attacked by a Gru. That's also from NetHack, isn't it? No. No. That's from... That's a text-based uh, that's adventure. That's a text-based adventure game. Zork? Mm. I think it might be Zork. I have the things in my brain that I know about video games outnumber the things I know about anything else a thousand to one. Yeah. It's not even close. Half of my brain is just Pokemon knowledge. If I could have a job where I sat in a dark room and then random visitors came by and, like, opened, like, a confessional slot and asked me questions, obscure questions about video games, if I answered them right, I got $50, I'd be set. You just described our podcast. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Let's warm up. All right. Well, I'm thinking of a number one through three. Three. Holy fuck. One whole deer? Whoa, that joke's been made a billion times. I should retire. Expecto Patronum. <laughs> <laughs> you, you die somehow. <laughs> Visual. They movie. fucking teach Harry Potter that Expecto Patronum <laughs> creates a Patronum. And then it turns out they were just tricking him to use a killing spell on somebody. <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny if we taught Harry Potter a killing spell? <laughs> Expecto Patronum, and then, like, Beatrix's heart explodes out of her mouth. <laughs> his, his ghost deer, like, folds into a gun, falls into his hand, like, what am I supposed to do with this? Point it at him and pull the trigger, Harry! <laughs> <laughs> Wait. It turns into a gun and lands in his hand, and then his hand <laughs> is out of his control, and then the hand says, Behold, the most powerful spell of all. Are you ready to meet God? And then it just kills people. It just kills people. Indiscriminately. Yes. It he's the worst wizard. <laughs> uh, it sees the evil in all men, even if it has to create it. Oh. Shall we start the podcast? I guess. Joke's on you. We've already done it. <laughs> the whole podcast? Thank God I want to fucking leave. <laughs> you need a clap? <laughs> I'm sorry. Wait. Did you need, like, a clap? I clapped! Oh, sorry. We can get the show on the road. <laughs> Zero credits. Wow, John, what a show we might have tonight. 
and welcome back to Zero Credits, the show where we talk about things. My name's Henry. And my name's Ooh, Burr, Chili from a sudden northern cold front John. And together we're Henry and Ooh, Burr, Chili from a sudden cold northern cold front John coming at you to discuss the cultural happenings of the zeitgeist. We have... Maybe one hell of a show for you tonight. I don't know. This is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar. There's this uh, pretty classic thought experiment called, I believe you pronounce it, Shro, 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 This bit is killing me. Schrodinger's cat. Why is that so funny? <laughs> There's this uh, thought experiment called Sch- Schrodinger's Cat. And it it posits, you know what it is. Everybody knows what <laughs> yeah, it is. The cat's yeah. alive, the cat's dead. That's the show. You don't know. Our show is trapped in a box. Yeah. And there's a nuclear isotope in it. With a with a with a fifty percent chance of expiring past its half life or whatever uh, during the time, <laughs> and if it, why are you complicating this? It, isn't that the original Schrodinger's cat? I thought cat? it was the food is poisoned. I thought it was a nuclear isotope. I thought it was the food is poisoned. Oh well, if it if it goes if the food well if the food's poisoned, the cat's gonna eat the food. Cats don't know any better. It's a perfectly fifty percent chance. You don't know that. You, I know cats. You don't know the state of the cat is the thing. You know, no one's, it's not about will the cat eat the food, it's you don't know if it has or hasn't. That's true. Look, I guess it doesn't matter if it's a 50% chance, because probability <laughs> doesn't enter into it. it the doesn't. thought experiment is actually just something can exist in two states. Yes. And then the the proof is that our perception of something, it, it dictates its truth. Exactly. When we see the cat is dead. So, I think you... No one's ever posited for, like, the nuclear isotope when they're like, No, I know cats. That cat, that cat ate that isotope, and it's dead. So, I think you have demonstrably <laughs> made it clear... It's going to be a bad show. <laughs> we have a bad show for you tonight. Only when the listeners open the episode will they find out if it's a bad episode or not. And like all bad things, it'll be fueled by America's greatest pastime. <laughs> wow, really beefed at that time. <laughs> that Here is, you go. That's a bad omen. Uh, drinking, maybe, if we can open these bottles. Oh... Yes, once again brought to you by America's Finest Beer, the India Pale Ale. Kind of grows on you after, like, the 50th bottle. That's all pale ales. That's all IPAs. So, you know, they always do this. All of these talk show hosts, they do their monologue, they do their jokes, and then they always pause, look at their band leader and say, we've got a great show for you tonight. Invariably, every single one of the shows they have done is a great show. I just want one of them. To come out, look at the band leader and go, we got a bad show for you tonight. Honestly, the guest is racist. Uh, the musical guest canceled, so all we've got is the house band who plays covers of songs no one cares about. My phone just went off. It's a bad show. Uh, now, did you hear about uh, Conan? Conan mm-hmm. O'Brien? I actually watched some of that episode. It was really great. He kind of did that because Kumail Nanjiani canceled on him. To, to give the, the fam some background, uh, Conan recently downsized his show. He cut it in half. Used to go for an hour with two guests. 
Now he only does 30 minutes with one guest, and he's branched out to a bunch of podcasts and Conan on the Road segments, all these other things to fill in that, that Conan void. But the one of the first times in like 25 years of doing the show, they had a guest cancel on them. And they had no backup. Yeah, they had a guest cancel with so little lead time that they could not find a replacement. They were left scrambling. They were super honest about it during the show. Uh, and they, uh, they lambasted him for canceling. It's funny, like, it, it kind of was out of his control. Silicon Valley went long. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it went into the evening. He, he couldn't get away from the set. He was all the way in, like, Santa Monica. I don't know where Conan films. Uh, probably, uh, Muscle Beach. There's two places I know in California. And actually, Muscle Beach might be in Santa Monica. I have no... I think Muscle Beach is on Venice Beach. Venice Beach. Yeah. Ah. I've been there. Really? Yeah. To Muscle Beach? I haven't gone specifically... I have walked past M- Muscle Beach. Ah, that's what most people will have to say. Yeah. Because you have to be a certain amount of muscular to get in. Yeah. I, well, yeah, the, there's a guy at the door... And he's like, if you can't bench me, you can't get in. <laughs> he's, it's very specific, his requirement. Uh, he also, uh, is a long, thin man. <laughs> <laughs> who looks a lot like a barbell. He is a, his name is Bar. And his last name, of course, is Dershowitz. <laughs> Bar Dershowitz. So, Conan, yeah, I really like what Conan did. He came out and he was like, we, uh, we don't know if it's going to be a good show. We don't know. It's like, oh, we might call this guy up. And, like, he brought him up and, like, immediately regretted it. <laughs> immediately. Immediately was like, like it. He was like, don't talk. <laughs> uh, also, he interviewed his longtime, long-suffering, one might say, assistant. Yeah, I, there was there was some things in there that was that were interesting. She started a chant, buy me out. <laughs> buy me out. I, uh, I don't love Conan, but I love that he's able to put on a show given that. I love the amount of professionalism. And it's not professionalism. I want, like, more of that, you know? More, because it's true, you know, because you have to keep your advertisers, you have to keep the network happy, you even have to keep your own producers happy. You can't fly by the seat of your pants on television that much. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to the days of, like, David, early David Letterman, where he was just like, why can't we do the, like, stupid human tricks? Mm-hmm. Why can't we do that? Why can't we drop a watermelon from the roof of this this theater and just see what happens? Like, and then we'll hype it up throughout the entire episode, and at the very end, we'll drop a watermelon. That that's television. Whatever the the greatest thing that David Letterman ever did was he had an acting uh, distaste for television. Yeah, uh, which was the best thing about his show, and he would openly encourage his guests on the show in the early days. To literally do whatever. Yeah. Don't prepare. There was like an unspoken agreement that you could show up to Letterman drunk, high, with a character bit. You could show up as the character you were going to portray in a movie because he didn't give a shit. They didn't prep you and it was up to you what you wanted to do. So you had, um, who's that guy who played the Grendel in the CG Beowulf movie? He was also in Willard. The Australian? No, he's like a very thin guy. Very thin man. Anyway, he was on Elijah there. Wood was... I, I'm thinking of 
the show with the dog that no talks. that's wilfred my bad uh, but no he he showed up on the show and it's one of his most legendary interviews because he shows up and he's just out of his mind he keeps talking about how he's an adult how he's strong how he can kick <laughs> he stands up and like tries to like get david letterman to fight him he repeatedly kicks at the cameras russell crow it might have been russell crow uh, but no, that it's it's uh, we we've talked a lot about how great Letterman was and is, but I, I uh, mean, he, he, it, it's weird because like you you hear other comedians talk about David Letterman and they're like, oh yeah, he revolutionized television. But then you look at television today, you look at the night show lineups today, it's like, well, did he? Yeah, did he? Did he actually? Because re- it seems like they, it's like, oh yeah, it was a huge influence. But then they went ahead and went backwards. Like everything's all this pre-scripted. Oh, Jimmy Fallon's going to do random accents. They just happen to land on the same accents that this actor does on all of the talk shows. I feel like uh, there's two different schools of late night comedy. One is what Conan does, which is the closest to what Letterman was. Uh, and maybe like him and Craig Ferguson did that. Craig Ferguson's off the air. Craig Ferguson took from the Letterman mold. Conan did too, but he's more marketable. Craig Ferguson had the best late night show. There was like a robot... There was a horse that would come out. There was honesty. There were, like, life lessons. There were great interviews where he would, like, completely disarm his guests and talk about real-life stuff. The guests would, like, sit down. He would have a card in front of him. He would throw the card away. He'd be like, so how you doing? Yeah, it was so good. Um, But I also think that what David Letterman did, maybe people should give him more credit for. Because I don't think he revolutionized late-night TV. I think that David Letterman revolutionized comedy... And America's relationship with celebrity, which is yeah. a much bigger accomplishment than changing late night TV. I, I think he took the t- the medium of television, tore it apart, and then in the later years kind of just phoned it in. Yeah, I mean, he put in all the work. No one can blame him for easing into retirement and then becoming a big old beardo. He's got a new show that I haven't watched, tonight, like My Next Guest Is or whatever. Oh, yeah. it's uh, it's one of those austere kind of interview series, like harsh white lighting, like slow camera pans. It's, I don't know, it's just a Netflix show. It's a Netflix show where they're like, oh, we're going to get someone who has name recognition, David Letterman, and then have him interview people who have like great name recognition, like Barack Obama. Kanye West. And it's not that great. Yeah, I don't. I don't like pure interview shows. I think interviews are the least interesting thing if you're not doing them in an interesting way. I think the most interesting interview show is like on every movie will have like a press day where like the, they'll get two actors, put them in a room, and then like each press team has like five, ten to five to ten minutes to do like their segment, and they just do like seventy of those in a day. Yeah, and they all put them online because that's what they're for. Mm-hmm. And then somebody comes around and, and com- compiles them, <laughs> to, and you can just watch these two actors go through seventy of the, like the same question. Uh, and the, the best ones are like for the Avengers stuff. It's like we don't know. Yeah, we don't know your answer. Mm-hmm. Go and watch Jeremy Renner. That's not his name. Hawkeye. Yeah, Jeremy Renner. Go and watch his. Interviews before Infinity War or Endgame, it's the same stuff. He's like, I don't know. I don't know the answer to your question. <laughs> like, he gets increasingly mad. He's like, you'll see it when it... I don't know. People don't realize how, like, grueling those press tours are. I think 
kind of the only person who I see treat press tours correctly lately. Um, actually, I feel like maybe Chris Hemsworth was doing it right for a little while. Uh, because people will be like, haha, how do you work out? I'm like, I don't, why does that, how's that important? Yeah. Uh, I have a trainer. Um, but Jake Gyllenhaal kills it for the press tour because oh, he's insane. He is, he took the concept of a press tour, which if you're not guarded, can tear you down emotionally. Yeah. And he's like, I don't care. Ask me questions. I'll give you different answers. I'll talk about how people have beady eyes. I'll talk about how much I want to shave my head. I don't care. So one of one of the said compilation things that I was talking about is Jake Gyllenhaal and Ryan Reynolds for a movie called Life mm-hmm. that came out last year that nobody saw. Yes. Um, but people would ask, because like, they kind of knew it was like, the press people could kind of tell it wasn't a big movie, but these are two big stars. So they, you know, they keep asking, like, so what's your favorite movie? And Jake Gyllenhaal would be like, Life. Are you kidding me? Like, this movie's phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so it's like, good. What's your favorite role? Well, I really like playing this guy in Life. <laughs> this, this movie that we're promoting. <laughs> it's, it's really, Jake Gyllenhaal nails it. He really does. Speaking of Marvel, though, and speaking of Chris Hemsworth. I guess we could get into some of the one sentence we exchanged before pitting record. Yes, I guess we could talk about some content rather than reminiscing about David Letterman. I could talk about comedy that I loved in the past. You want to talk about Roseanne, Rosanna Dana? Roseanne Barr? No, Roseanne, Rosanna Dana, the character. You're making up. No, absolutely. Old SNL character, Gilda Radner. One of the best. Gilda Radner. Shout out. Oh, you want to talk SNL? No, not really. I'm okay. not a huge fan. So, this past weekend, a little event happened in San Diego. Russell really, Beach? Really niche. <laughs> really niche crowd. Um, kind of a small event. Not a lot of big names there. Uh, Muscle Beach. Yeah, no. I, I mean, I think, I think we all know what we're talking about. We're talking about, uh, tro, You're calling back Comic Con. Comic Con. The Comics Conservatory? Yes. It is a group of comic lovers who are conservative in their political views. Oh, no. Uh, not that. Because inac- I don't know, I don't know that what conservatory means. Uh, that's not that inaccurate. So the Comic of Cons, the Cons of Comics, it, they happen. They have all these little conventions. Like they, a confidence man? Like a con, they con the audiences and they laugh the entire time. Com- comedic cons. <laughs> these comics, these comedian, these comedian confidence men get up there and they're like, hey, let me give me a cigarette. <laughs> they're like, <laughs> they give they're me like, a cigarette. And, and then they're like, okay, now I'm smoking the cigarette. You guys have any questions <laughs> about Iron Man? Yeah. You have any, uh, I'm Robert Downey Jr. later. Uh, but yes, the comic convention. The comic convention where they, they drop all the, the juicy little tidbits, all the juicy little stories that then the internet talks about because we've got nothing else. The planet is on fire. We might as well enjoy these movies. The planet's dying. There's nothing we can do about it. Here, I'm Disney. <laughs> I'm Disney. And so a lot of things were announced. Walking Dead Season 10. Great. Uh, Steven- Hold on, wait, I didn't say that with the proper amount of res- reverence. Say Walking Dead Season 10 again. Walking Dead Season 10. Right. Uh, Steven Universe got a movie. Nice! I like the people who make that. I've never seen it. Yeah, it's a musical. 
Cool. It's going to be on Cartoon Network. A movie on the Cartoon Network? They've done it before. They haven't done that since Zubidoo Zombie Island. <laughs> <laughs> Zubidoo. <laughs> and then, of course, Marvel did what they do at these things, and they spoiled the next eight movies. Yes, the various unannounced projects that showed up on the slated list of Disney releases that are going to dominate the next five years of our lives. And uh, so they they revealed their plans for phase four? Sure. Phase five? It's phase four, because phase one, culminated Avengers. Phase two, culminated Ultra. Phase three, Infinity War. <laughs> Are you drunk or Cajun? Phase four? New shit. Ant-Man. Ant-Man. <laughs> no, so they got a whole, a whole bunch of new shit. Like, they're, a Black Widow's getting a movie where she, hey. she goes up against Taskmaster. Ooh, I love me some Taskmaster. Who he is, can use every digit. He's like the best villain of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Marvel has. Yes. Sorry, Doctor Doom fans, or get fucked. I don't know what to say these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, they announced the Blade movie with Marshall Ali. Yeah, uh, that one really excites me. Uh, I I love the Blade movies, and Marshall Ali is like my favorite. Here's my problem with the Blade movie. Okay, the Blade, which one? The the one that they just announced. Uh-huh. Here's my problem with it. Aliens, I can get. Chris Hemsworth, gods, I understand. Women exist. <laughs> but you're telling me, gosh darn, blood-sucking vampires are real? That's where I draw the line. But what if, hear me out, the vampires are aliens? Huh? The vampires are aliens? What? The vampires come from a planet. They're aliens? That is an Earth. And then it comes to Earth. And then they're like uh, an invasive species. They're like the Skrull. It's a lot like the scroll. <laughs> they're, they're exactly like the scroll, except they suck blood mm-hmm. instead of just instead of just suck. sucking the air out of the room. Uh, um, yes. All right, I guess I could wrap my head around alien vampires. Don't know if that's true. You just made that up. They could look. That's how they explain magic and gods: is that they're aliens and sufficiently advanced technology. Doctor Strange in- ain't no alien. Doctor Strange has literal magic. There's no way that that's not just... I know that there are some throwaway lines in Marvel movies about how technology that's sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from magic. Oh, that's just how fantasy works. Doctor Strange, straight up magic. Okay. Just straight up magic. They also announced, and I think this is the one I'm most excited for, is the a, a fourth Thor movie. Fourth. Fourth. Fourth movie. And it's going to be directed by Taikai... <laughs> okay. Taika Waititi. Taika Waititi. Thor Love and Thunder, I believe. Love and Thunder. They decided to, and I did not think that Marvel would do this, they decided to, hey, who directed the best Marvel movie? Was it Taika Waititi? Should we give him another chance, even though he uh, openly disparaged our franchises, refused to read the comic books, and is overall pretty uh, dismissive of this, like, weird world we're building, I thought the answer to that would absolutely be no. But they gave him another chance. Because you can't... Listen. 
You can't pull something out of a downward spiral like saving Thor from the dark world yeah. and not get a second chance. No, like he he completely revitalized that character. Chris Hemsworth was was ready to walk away from the character. Yeah. And then Taika Waititi came in and was like, hey, listen, why are you going to walk away? You can do whatever you want in this movie. Yeah, Taika Waititi was like, hey, you're funny. Do you want... What what percentage of this do you want to be you being actiony versus you being funny? And Chris Hemsworth was like, I would like to be funny more than I am being actiony. Yeah. He's like, you got it. And so I think a similar thing happened with Natalie Portman. Jane Foster. Jane Foster. Her character has been kind of absent from the MCU as of late. And it's, I think it's because her character really had nothing to do. Jane Foster was a, a like a meaningless character in the first Thor. She yeah. was just like a pointless love love interest that things happened to her and she never did anything. She was a very poorly written character and is like one of the kind of weakest female representations in the MCU. And that kind of continued in the dark world where like she discovers the Aether but because she discovers it and it enters her arm, she gets sick for half the movie. And yep. it's just like, okay. So I think, that, like, Natalie Portman, I don't know if she had a contract with, with Marvel or whatever. Uh, but, like, I think Taika Waititi showed up wherever she was. Like, she was filming a, a, a Dwar, Dyer, D-O-I-R commercial. Uh-huh. And uh, he just showed up and was like, so how, how much do you want your character in the MCU to be like Thor? I mean, there is Lady <laughs> Thor, which is awesome. I think, I think with this team, Taika Waititi, Chris Hemsworth, Tessa Thompson, Natalie Portman, whoever else I'm leaving on, I think that core team can make a good movie. I, and I, you could, you could, it could be anything. And I think I would go see it. I, I really think that this is the strongest announcement they made because they, they did everything right. In that they did everything, it's so Taika, to do yeah. everything in a press conference to upset as many, like, staid, uh, kind of troglodyte nerds as possible. Because it's like, handing the hammer over to Natalie Portman, announcing that Lady Thor will be a thing. And then Tessa Thompson saying, Tessa is king of Asgard and has to find her queen showing that she's going to be the first like LG openly LGBT character in all of the MCU that's like a main superhero kind of focus. I mean, it just fits the semantics. He made her king. Like, yeah, that happened. You can't fight that. She kings typically have queens, so she's going to find a queen. Like that's just that's how words work. Yeah, and I I think this is like it's super cool. Uh, what happened, and I love that they upset as many people as they did. It's my favorite. Uh, but my only hope for Thor Love and Thunder, they didn't announce it, holding out hope for Beta Ray Bill. Yeah, Beta Ray Bill would be great. I feel like that might be one too many new Thor types. You Triple know? Thor. No, not during the movie. Oh. At post or mid credit so sequence. So like Thor 5 is Beta Ray Bill? Yeah, Thor 5 is Beta Ray Bill. And then it's the Thor trifecta. You have Thor, Lady Thor, Beta Ray Bill. Fucking shit up. Yeah, the three Thors. Yeah, the triple Thor. For those of you who don't know, Beta Ray Bill in the comics is one of the only other characters in the MCU besides a few, like, dire circumstances that can lift Molinier 
like just on an everyday basis. He yeah. is one of the only other worthy characters besides like Lady Thor, like people who become he gets his own like line of comics because of it becomes like the super more cosmic version of Thor, whereas Thor is like obsessed with the nine realms. Beta Ray goes wherever he wants. Yeah, Beta Ray Bill is the uh, the Silver Surfer kind of crazy space era of comic books version of Thor. Little Easter egg kind of alert in Thor Ragnarok. They're in the uh, the 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 Masters or whatever his name is uh-huh. in his arena. Beta Ray Bill's face is one of like the three big faces. Oh, I know. So maybe, maybe the Easter egg hints being laid that he's out there. Mm-hmm. My only thing is he was given a, a Stormbreaker in the comics by Odin. Yes, Odin's dead. Yes. So who? I guess Thor could give him a hammer. It's an. It's interesting because somehow Mjolnir has to come back, right? Didn't. Wait, Captain Re- Captain America re- returned. Oh, okay. I thought it got destroyed. Uh, well, it got. It's dest- hard not to spoil things. Oh fuck! But <laughs> it's. Uh, I don't know. There's going to be a hammer. There's going to be an axe. Yeah. Maybe something else will happen. Golf club. Isn't, Please let it be a golf club. Isn't Beta Ray Bill's whole thing that pretty much just by coincidence he's the only other being that's just coincidentally pure enough of heart. He's not, like, chosen or anything. He's just a genuinely good person. It's like he's on a spaceship, and everyone on that spaceship, like, dies, and he's just floating through space, and so just so happens to get near the hammer to, like, wield it to save himself. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like a coincidental kind of thing. And he's super ugly. He's a horseman. Uh, he He's was, a horse lizard. I also think that it was supposed to be he looks like a bad guy, and then when he picks up the hammer, it's like a huge shock that this guy's good. Yeah. Uh, I would love me some Beta Ray Bill. Do it, Taiko Waititi. I just want to talk about the logo. The logo. That's so good. So, so like, Thor... The, the Thor's logo is like a, a, a lesson in marketing to just embrace the sillier, the weirder side... Because the Thor, the first Thor logo is just like bold, plain, bleh. Dark World's like add some red to it. Then Ragnarok was like we going crazy, and now it's just like you know He Man and the ma- the, the Masters yeah. of the Universe or She-Ra and the Masters of the Universe. We're gonna do that. <laughs> I very much feel like it's like super kind of She-Ra inspired. Like come on, come on, yeah, it's so good. It's like He Man. It's like She-Ra. It's like the 80s kids toys yeah but in a in a movie which the the cool thing with thor ragnarok is i i do believe that taika waititi was like hey these marvel movies are for all the special effects they have they have a fairly muted color palette and he just like blew the doors off with color with thor ragnarok because he's like i want this movie to be like a rainbow i want it to be this massive explosion of color yeah and that was another reason why people liked it so much taika watiti he's good he, he i i've seen some interviews of him and he honestly thought thor ragnarok was going to be the end of his career yeah because he walked on like he walked into the project he's like there's no script i can do whatever i want just hulk needs to be there uh-huh uh, okay, and he, he delivered what he delivered, and he thought, there, you know, this could be the end, uh, I'm gonna walk away from film after this, 
And the, like when it blew up, he was like, what? Yeah. Oh, I guess I'll do another one. And, uh, <laughs> I also love all the interviews with him during these like press tour things. Because Taika Waititi is one of the... Uh, he's one of the gifted ones for press tours. Yeah. And one of the fairly common questions was like, Hey, what, com- what Marvel comics did you like draw inspiration from? We know that when you direct or write a Marvel movie, you get access to this like incredible Marvel like research library where they have every comic book and every storyline that you can pour over as this like massive research aid for making movies. Like I didn't read a single Marvel comic. Yeah. I've not read them. And I, he still made that movie and it was still good and true to the character and amazing. Well, it's interesting because somebody must have, I mean, there were obvious inspirations from Planet Hulk. Yes. I, I honestly think the, his answer to that was a necessarily flip, but I think he's making a point. He's saying, like, don't let yourself be marred by what the comics have done. These, these are, we're taking these characters and, and doing new things with them. So. Yeah. Which I think, honestly, is the best thing. Because otherwise, you announce, oh, the villain in this one is going to be Mysterio. And, like, we draw upon our knowledge of who Mysterio is in the comics. So it's like, oh, we kind of know the jig is up even before the movie starts. You have to do that in such a specific way to make that work. And I think the only thing that I can think of in recent memory that even came close to making that work was the Spider-Man video game for the PS4. That was so Because they know that you know. Yeah. They know that you know who the villain is. Yes. Uh, and, and they play with that really well. They don't play the story straight. And they flip it in, in like the they very do. final, like, oh. That, Man. I, I, I want to play that game again. It's so good. I have rarely been moved to, like, tears while, while playing a final battle. Yeah. But that that story is so well written for Spider-Man that it was just like, oh, my God. I And you expect me to be able to, like, perform, like, quick time events during this? Yeah. I can't oh. see the X button because there's tears in my eyes. Uh, no, that was that was really good. That's the only one I can think of where they like knew who they knew that you knew, and they they didn't play it straight. They played with your preconceived okay. notions of that character. It was so good. So here's where my thoughts come to a halt. A halt, as in like they come to a halt. Every a Hulk. Everything so far I've been okay with. We've been doing three Marvel movies a year for the past decade. Uh-huh. That's not true, but bear with me. It's now with the Disney Plus streaming service that I'm getting apprehensive. Because they also announced Falcon and Winter Soldier. A Hawkeye show. Like, a show. A Hawkeye show. A what-if show that's going to be animated. They're using original voice actors to play out hypothetical scenarios. WandaVision will be a show. And whereas in the past, when they announced this is Phase 4... You would see a movie on a timeline, a movie on a timeline, a movie on a timeline. Now it's a movie, a television show, a movie, a television show. We're talking, whereas before, maybe you got like seven hours of content a year. I don't know how long these TV shows are going to be, but if they're ten episodes, a standard kind of Netflix order, we're talking like 30 hours of content a year. That they're going to ask me to keep up with. Oh, I forgot Loki is getting the television show. Great. Ask, like asking their fans to keep up with to be in the know for 
the next big Avengers movie thing that they've purposely not announced because I don't think they know where they're going quite yet. Yeah. I think if there is any time, like, everyone's like, hey, the superhero bubble's going to pop, superhero fatigue is going to set in, if there's any time for that to start, it's now. I mean, when, uh, my two feelings are like, for any bubble to pop, a a necessary part is to, like, have a noticeable saturation. Yes. Uh, I feel like... the the TV show stuff I have the least faith in because uh, Disney can't help itself. Uh, so Disney can't make video games. Disney's never been good at making video games particularly. However, they have funneled like millions of dollars into doing it to fail and fail and fail and fail. Yeah. Uh, Disney also can't make TV shows. So if yeah. They, they they just typically can't, other than like cartoons, like the Aladdin cartoon or whatever. Kim Possible was alright for a while. True. But, like, the the thing about this is I think that it's so increasingly top-heavy that the center can't hold. Because I think that what has been, like, bringing people to these franchises, other than, like, crazy super fans, is, like, they just have tentpole events. You pick and choose which superheroes you love. And then when the Avengers happens, you're like, oh, there's Hawkeye. I love Hawkeye. What's he doing? Uh, but I, I, I feel <laughs> like... Hawkeye things. My concern is predicated upon what I like to call the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. hypothesis. Oh, that's a television show. Was. In that the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It got cancelled. The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was something that had the full backing of Marvel. It was part of the MCU. It was continuously funneled money into. It was canon. It was on a major network. And the idea was, this was essentially their jumping off point, is we're going to have a TV show that's inexorably linked to the MCU canon so people can't help but watch it. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is our jumping off point to taking over television. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was an okay show. Yeah. Much like a lot of Marvel movies are okay movies. But it it didn't have the staying power. People didn't care about Agent Coulson or whatever in the context of a television show. So it failed, eventually, and I feel like a similar thing is going to happen with this Disney Plus streaming service, because they're going to try to be Netflix, and they're like, hey, we own the platform, so we can just, like, pump this stuff out, and people will stay invested. And I think that the big, like, ostensibly game changer that they're counting on now is we're actually going to have star power and characters from the movies, because that's what Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. was missing. It was missing Tom Hiddleston or whatever. Yeah. I don't feel like that's the case. I don't feel like people can invest that much over that long a period of time because I feel like what people get the most utility out of for Marvel movies is treating them like a celebration. In that celebrations are rare, and if celebrations happen every day, they stop being special. It's also missing a huge connective tissue thing. Like, from the moment when we saw the first Infinity Stone, we realized what they were building to. Actually, from the moment we first saw Thanos, we kind of, people who knew, yeah, knew, okay, they're going to build up to this. And so we were looking for hints, and then we learned about the Infinity Stones, and like, oh, there are six of them. Keep on the lookout for them, and then there would be whole movies dedicated to, to these stones, or, or like they were tangential to the plot or something like that. Yeah. But the point is, like, that was the through line. We got through 23 movies, I don't know how, 22, 23 movies, following this thread. 
that was woven delicately and, and and it was fragile. Like if they did too much in one direction, it would have snapped. But that didn't happen. Yeah, we're gonna miss out on that with this next stuff until they they bait the hook with the next big thing. And and there has to be a next big thing because if there's not a next big connecting thing, you're just throwing franchise after franchise out, hoping one of them gets popular. Yes. I worry because I think, and it it absolutely speaks to your point, because the reason why Marvel movies have this, like, addictive quality is because they're a tightly controlled commodity. And I feel like the reason why comic books are notoriously difficult to follow, and yes, they're popular, but they're not, like, a massive cultural force anymore, is because you have too many people working with the same tools, and you dilute your message. Yeah. If you have a what-if show, and you have a fucking Loki show, and a Hawkeye show, and you're expecting people to, like, keep up with this, you have tons of different creators pumping up a bunch of different ideas. Like, hell, look at all the Marvel shows on Netflix. They weren't even ever, like... They they kept saying, oh, yeah, no, they're totally connected. But never for a second were they actually... They were, they were technically connected, but because everything was being delivered, like, so readily and through so many different voices, try to tell me what, like, a theme of any of those shows was. There weren't any, for the most part... Daredevil- Hell's Kitchen. Yes. Daredevil Season 1 and Jessica Jones Season 1 were the closest to, like... Having, like, real narrative through lines where, like, this is the theme, this is the this is the feeling, this is, like, yeah. the mise-en-scene or whatever. But then, like, as those things continued, you lost what made them good. Even The Punisher, and I think the first season of The Punisher is amazing television. I never because, watched it. Because it shows that it's bad. The first season of The Punisher is, like, violence is bad, vigilantism is bad, Frank Castle's not a good person... You root for him because you want him to survive because you know he's, like, in his heart trying his best or whatever. But they did a really good job being, like, they made brutality not fun to watch. And then in season two of The Punisher, it just becomes, like, a USA show where it's like, ah, he's got trouble in the bar. How's he going to get out of this one? If you have that much content, you can't maintain. You can't. And The Punisher is a series that only exists because it was so popular. The character interactions were so popular in Daredevil Season 2. Yep. And you can't tell me, oh, yeah, we've got all this under control when you're literally creating shows that weren't planned before. Yeah, you're cre- you're literally creating shows based on, like, audience demand. Which is also crazy that The Punisher ended up where he was because The Punisher is just, like, a, it's just a satire of a certain kind of vigilantism or, or like, a... He's like a totem to a certain kind of vigilantism not shown in comic books and is supposed to be like a semi-self-parody. There's a weird thing going on right now where, like, cops are saying, please post the Punisher logo if you support us. Yeah. Where where <laughs> the, that goes against the entirety of the character who would... The Punisher would shoot crooked cops... Yeah, the, the if given the chance. One of my favorite things that I've ever seen is a sticker on the back of someone's car. And the sticker on the back of this person's car was the Punisher skull 
overlaid with the thin blue line American flag thing. Okay. And under that it said Molon Labe. What is Molon Labe? Molon Labe, I believe, is Greek. It essentially means, like, come and take it. It is like a Second Amendment, come and take my guns kind of thing. Well, come and take it was a Texas thing. Uh, I forget what Molon Labe actually translates okay. into. Uh, I can look it up. If you want. Um, what, I, what, I, what I want to say, when I'm circling back to our point is, with all of these television shows, with all these creative types, they have one person who is supposed to oversee the continuity in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that his name is Kevin Feige, and he's been doing a phenomenal job. But he's been doing it with three movies a year. Yes. And now you're introducing all of these shows, and like the what if, I don't expect to tie into a continuity. I think that's going to be like a Batman Brave and the Bold style thing. Just fun stories to, to enjoy. But with all of these different shows that are going to have hours of content versus just a couple hours per movie... I don't know how Kevin Feige is going to find a connective thread. And who is the threat? True. Who? I want to jump back to something real quick. Oh, okay. And we will go back to that. Uh, if we leave it where we left off, it makes it sound like I genuinely thought the Punisher skull with a thin blue line in the Molon Lobby was actually cool. Uh, oh, no. you, you but okay. I, So it means come and take them. Which was supposedly said in defiance to King Xerxes by the Spartans or whatever. When he asked them to surrender their weapons, they're like... Oh, 300. Yes, whatever. Um, King Leonidas. Sparta's not great. Uh, But Athens was better. Uh, Wow, what a nerd. But uh, I love that bumper sticker desperately because those are completely opposing ideologies. Yes. They're, they're like, those are... They should not go together. Yes, it is. I believe in the Punisher, which means criminals should be killed. I also believe that the only thing protecting us from violence is the police. Yeah. And I also believe that I would kill the police if they took <laughs> my weapons. They're yeah. like, protect blue lives... Because they're the only ones protecting us from the people with guns that I love. And also, I am one of the people with guns who will kill the police. It's like, it's rock, paper, scissors. It's a hand that's throwing up rock and paper and scissors all at the same time. A walking paradox. So good. It was on like a big fucking pickup truck, so I'm sure of, he... Of course. I'm, I'm sure he thought it, he knew what it and was. And let me guess, it wasn't the only bumper sticker by a long shot. Oh, no. It, thankfully, a lot of them didn't espouse really terrible political beliefs, but I, a lot of them were like American flags. I don't get the bumper sticker thing, but maybe we can come back to that. Yeah, we can come back to that. Kevin Feige. Kevin Feige is going... Oh, oh who, who's a big enough threat now? Like, you did Thanos. You did the Infinity You saga. did the one. You did him. The only other one I could think of, maybe, is like... What's his name? Galactus. Yeah. Eater of planets. You could do a Galactus. You would have to... Because he is a Fantastic Four villain, you would have to bring in the Fantastic Four. And if you bring in the Fantastic Four... You gotta bring in Doctor Doom. <laughs> now, the, I think that Doctor Doom would maybe be a good antagonist. Because Doctor Doom, uh, maybe if you've just watched the Fantastic Four TV show or not been following it, Doctor Doom's pretty bad dude. The thing is, with Doctor Doom, for me as an outsider, I am not a reader of comics. I am not a watcher of shows. I watch movies. 
and I saw the unfortunate first uh, Fantastic Four movie with like Jessica Alba and Mike Chickless from The Shield or whatever. Uh huh. And that Doctor Doom didn't seem all that great. My my point from a writing perspective is: you bring in Thanos, you bring in the stones, and that becomes a thing. Yes. You pitch me Doctor Doom. And he can go anywhere. He can do anything. He doesn't have like a thematic Dragon Ball-esque, Chaos Emerald-esque thing he wants yeah. to collect. So I don't know what Doctor Doom wants from a Kurt Vonnegut perspective. Yes. What could he want or desire that would put him at a Thanos-level threat? There's almost nothing we can do at this point to get a thematic device that's as perfect as the Infinity Stones. Because, as has been proven time and time again in mythology, in literature, in television, movies, books, popular culture, the most compelling narrative device is a bad person or organization versus a good person or organization trying to find five plus things yeah it is something that is it it has lasting power because it's not just three things because you'd get sick of that it's not a million things so you lose the thread each thing it's the dragon ball thing yeah it is it's the fucking pretty much every Final Fantasy game has it's, like it's Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, it's you're always one step behind the bad guy who just got the thing and he's getting more powerful. You raise the stakes; it's mm-hmm. quantifiable. Yeah. You can track it over a long period of time, and I can guarantee you Disney is sweating because <laughs> there's nothing else. It gave them a good ten years. It gave them it a gave great them, ten years. It gave them the most successful ten years of like any company ever. I, I, God, what do they even do? I read a uh, a headline the other day that was like in 2009 Marvel bought uh, Disney bought Marvel for 4 billion. Since then they have made 18 billion. Yeah. That's like so return on investment is there, but we need a thing. We need a a MacGuffin like what can you do? That's the problem, though, because after the first of these new Marvel movies, if in the post credit sequence someone's like, ah, the Mind Stone or whatever, you're like, this shit sucks. Yeah. Like, the second they do the thing again, immediately they can't, put it in the garbage They can't. Can. They honestly, we can never... That's the problem, though. Everything that has done this before, yeah. they make the mistake of going back because it's such a strong thematic device. You can't go back to that Infinity Stone well. Like, we need something else. And don't create a new set of stones. Yeah. No, don't <laughs> be like, oh, the gravity stone. Yeah, you, you can't... You just can't create new Dragon Balls. Like, you can't... Don't pull a Dragon Ball Z. You can't be like, oh, these ones give you three wishes. You can't go to Namek. Yeah. It's so hard. It's so hard, and I guarantee you they're, like, really trying to brainstorm. They're they're spinning their wheels right now. What can we do? And, like, all of the stuff that they announced at Comic-Con, that has to... Like, they have the next couple of years, it seems, planned out. So, like... They, they've spun the wheels. They, mm-hmm. they know. They're just not revealing it yet, which I can appreciate because I hate when they put out that image. Yeah. Of like, here are the next nine movies. And you're like, yeah, but a character in this ninth movie is going to be in peril. And like in the second movie you announced. And now I know for a fact that they're going to live. That shit sucks. Yeah. It, it really does. I don't know. I'm, 
cautiously optimistic about a couple things. Really just one of the movies they announced. Uh, also, just Thor and Love and Thunder, right? Uh, Doctor Strange. Oh, I, I got a sequel. The, the Multiverse of Madness. The Multiverse of Madness. The reason why I like that is it seems to, at the very least, be like a mild textual reference to the Mountains of Madness. So I want it to be a Doctor Strange movie about Eldritch Horror. And I, I think that would be really cool. That would be great. I will There's say. There's been in the Marvel comics. I will admit. There's been old ones. I will admit, the first Doctor Strange movie did nothing for me. I liked it, but it's dumb. I didn't like the character. I did. I put his hand. I was. I. I thought. I. I honestly thought we're done with origin stories, and then here comes Doctor Strange. I was like, oh, this is going to be cool because it's not going to be an origin story. It's going to be something else, and then it was just an origin story. Yes. I. Uh. I can't. I won't swallow another origin story. You've got to give me something else. I feel like the latter half of Doctor Strange is much better than the first. I also feel like the first half of Doctor Strange on a second watch is a hilariously inept film. Uh, because if you watch the first 20 minutes, it's nothing but shots of his hands and how important his hands are. Yeah. It's so dumb. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like the Dormammu stuff, the Time Stone stuff, I feel like that was... Cool. I feel like the visual effects were like totally peerless. I've never seen movies do what Doctor Strange did to create these like insane kaleidoscopic, like trippy visions. Yeah. Uh, that stuff was very cool. Movie thin on plot. Mads Mikkelsen character. What's he even doing? I did, I, I, I did understand. I had no idea. Uh, but I hope that that movie is what I think it is. And I'm not interested or excited about any of the other movies they announced. I am, I will say I am cautiously optimistic for whatever the hell The Eternals is, but only because Kumail Nanjiani was announced attached. Ooh, hopefully he doesn't cancel 30 minutes before. <laughs> that would be really funny. Uh, one more thing happened at Comic-Con that I did want to talk about for a little while. Separated from Marvel. Separate from Marvel. Okay. There was a Game of Thrones panel with all of the Game of Thrones people. Minus the two showrunners? I think minus that. I don't know if they. Were I don't there. think they, sh- they. I don't think they've shown up in public since. Uh, that's fair, but I think it was just like a question and answer, and they were talking about like uh, throwing th- some things about the the prequel or the spinoff. The spin-off. The, like some things came out of it. Like Maisie Williams said, she is not interested in doing any spinoffs or anything. I don't think anyone is. Uh, but the one thing that I want to take away from it is Nikolai Coster Waldau, who mm. played Jamie Lannister. Yeah. Defended the ending. Uh, in that he said, you know, we tried our best and the ending was what it was. Uh, and, you know, he, he just didn't lambast the ending. He didn't openly disrespect the people that he spent like yeah. a decade of his life working with. Okay, so I can say a number of things here. One, it's be- he's being professional. Yeah, that's, it's, that's not. That's he's not only a thing defending do. it out of a sense of professionalism. Because, like, we, we've seen what happens to. People who do, who lambast the film that they, they star in. My case example is Shia LaBeouf, who went on talk shows and just destroyed the Crystal Skull, and like he worked with Steven Spielberg on that, and like and, and Harrison Ford, and Harrison Ford told him, "Kids, shut up. That's not how you do things. That's yeah. not how you do this." And he burnt out and is no longer. He's gonna be in a, a neat movie coming out, an independent. 
Forget the name of it. Great. Uh, can I look it up real quick? Absolutely. Stall. Uh, Man, professionalism? He did it out of professionalism. I don't know. I have like a twist in this story to tell you once you finish your thought. So it's tough to stall, you know. Comic-Con, you know. Robocop. Who's he? What's a comic book anyway? Beta Ray Bill? What's your favorite comic book, listeners? Mine is uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Love that graphic novel. Scott Pilgrim is the best. Also, the movie. Very good. Edgar Wright. Also, uh... The Peanut Butter Falcon. He's in a movie coming out soon. An independent called The Peanut Butter Falcon. I think it looks pretty good. I have no idea about it, but I will look it up. That title sounds very familiar in a weird way. I don't know how I saw this trailer. I think it was just pop just popped up in my news aggregators. Okay. Your gators? My gators. I think I'll take a look at it. Uh yes, professionalism. You don't want to lambast a movie or a show that you're in. Because you don't want to get like blacklisted from working with people. It's very easy to take pot shots from a distance like Seth Rogan did in the Lion King panel at Comic Con. He, he he took pot shots at the, the finale of uh Game of Thrones. Yeah. And of course, the cult, like everyone did on the internet, but like when you're so close to the thing, like you worked on it, of course you're going to defend it a little bit. And everyone's going to talk shit about your job, and you can work with people for almost a decade of your life and love them deeply and want the best for them, and then something can be not great and it wasn't your decision how it would be, but when people like try to trash talk or ruin the legacy of something that people you loved worked on then you'll defend it and he defended it not he didn't like say it was the best ending ever but what happened after he defended it the crowd booed him oh interesting number one shut the fuck up uh if you're in a crowd and someone is uh in any way defending their art and that art hurt nobody uh let art be art and shut the fuck up yeah. don't boo artists like period that person put blood sweat and tears into delivering a thing that yes you didn't love and yes had problems and i very much did not like how that show ended uh i'm not gonna boo anybody i'm not a child it's such a ludicrous proposition that someone could be up there defending their livelihood and the people that they worked with and you sitting in your chair with your fucking cargo shorts and your fucking Atari shirt. You're sitting there in your own sweat and filth and you boo those people. Fuck off. Jesus Christ. The people that should have been booed not the actors. The actors do what they can with what they are given. They can, Eve, look, they can't do more than that. If D.B. Weiss and David Benioff were up there and they said that the ending was fine, don't boo them. Don't boo people. Now here's booing the, is ludicrous. Here's the weird thing. Where did you get that information? Is it not there? Where did you get the information that they were booed? It was like on a news aggregator that I read. Here's the weird thing. Were they not booed? On Twitter, the cast says nobody booed. Hold on. What is happening? On Twitter? So here's a thread. How rude people can be booing the cast of Game of Thrones because you didn't like Liam Cunningham, who played Davos. They didn't. 
Nicolaj Kostrowaldu said, you mean this? A picture, uh, uh, videos of people cheering. Um, and, and like, it, it just, it kind of keeps going. Here's someone who says toxic fan culture is getting out of control. Nicolaj Kostrowaldu says, it wasn't toxic in the room. It was all good natured. That story just won't get as many clicks, oh, so it becomes actors booed. Oh, had a no. great time at the panel with an amazing crowd. I don't know who to believe. Is this something? Because I didn't watch the panel, so I don't know. I didn't watch the panel either. I just read an article, and I assumed that the article would be telling me the truth. So, like, this is a weird moment. And, like, for Liam Cunningham, Liam Cunningham to say they didn't boo. I mean, you just read it in the Davos Seaworth voice. They didn't. Yeah, I mean, you have to. I'm the onion knight. I delivered the onions. Uh, this is insane to me. This is... (sighs) It's a weird... Like... (laughs) Fake news moment? Yeah, I don't want to say that combination of words ever, but it seems like it was and like there there are a million things that could be happening right now they could have actually been booed but the actors don't want to put that story forth or you know so many people involved in the story could spin it the people in the audience could spin it the actors could spin it journalists could spin it how can we know? We can't unless we were there ourselves. I guess we'll watch the video and then report back next podcast. Nose goes. Oh, I'll watch the video. I don't care. It'll take two seconds. So, yeah, that, that's a promise to the fans. John. That's so crazy to me. I had so much vitriol in my heart carried over for two days about this. Well, here's the thing. I, I follow a little subreddit called Free Folk, which are like the... The weaponized... The elves. ...version of Game of Thrones fans. They, that like, they, 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 it all started because, like, they don't fucking nail. We're not fucking nailers. And then it turned to this weird thing where it's like, we don't like the show anymore. Mm-hmm. So we are free from the people who like the show. But they're, they're a very wholesome community in a way. They raised a bunch of money from, for charity, for, uh, Amelia Clark's charity, and then... They turned around and did it again for Kit Harrington's charity. Mm-hmm. But they didn't like the finale, and their whole thing is, we're going to protest until the showrunners make a public appearance. Mm-hmm. Because they're being cowards, we want them to show up in public so we can express our dissatisfaction. Uh-huh. Their whole thing is, it's their fault, not the actors, not the crew. Mm-hmm. Not whoever left the Starbucks cup in the shot. Yes. It's D&D who hoodwinked us by giving us five or six good seasons, and then the last two seasons were bad. I also don't feel like D.B. Weiss or David Benioff owe anyone anything. They absolutely owe... Oh, okay. I mean... I understand... Look, they did a job. Here is... They he- did a bad job. But must they go public for ridicule about that? Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Here, Here's the order of events that I'm going to present 
to justify my vitriol against D&D. Yes. HBO approached them and said, you can have as many seasons as you want to win this. Mm -hmm. And they said, we can do it in two. They clearly did not want to work on it anymore. That's the thing. They continued to work on it so they could say, like, we were the sole showrunners. If they really wanted to walk away and work on other projects, I have no problem with that. Yeah. Walk away, Mm -hmm. hand over the reins. Yeah. I I think that they were, like, exceptionally greedy people. And I I do not think that the way they handled that show uh, was good. And I also think that as writers... They did a really genuinely awful job. Uh, and I do believe, like, if they, like, do have a public appearance, then people should, like, question them and they should be, like, open, hopefully, with what they were. So, but, like, you want a level headed discourse. You don't want outright public rejection. No, I'm just saying they didn't commit a crime. They did a, a very bad job. But shouldn't they be penalized under the death penalty? <laughs> yes, they should be. I'm, listen, I'm, I'm being saying so. they shouldn't be brought in front of the public, but they should be lightly hanged. <laughs> uh, no, I I do hate everything that they did. Like I have uh, I have immense respect for that fictional universe, and I uh, despise them for what they did. And I don't feel like they did the best given what they were given because they were uh, handed the reins to an incredible kingdom. Uh, they, uh... I, I mean, let's not... They paved over paradise and put on a parking lot. Yeah, but, uh, like, at the same time, they did so well with the adaptation part. Uh-huh. The first, let's say, three seasons. The first three seasons were really well done. Mm-hmm. Like, the first season is a mirror to the book. It, yeah. it is so close and so good. Like, that. They did a phenomenal job at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I just think along the way they got a little burnt out. And, and that is not a crime. You're right. But when you get burnt out, maybe you should <sighs> take a step back. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm maybe of a minority that I think that, like, when people do a, a job, even if they do a, and I'm not defending them, a tremendously awful job... That they don't owe anyone anything as long as they didn't, like, genuinely hurt or disenfranchise people in a material way. I I mean, I I honestly understand what you're saying. Because no one, I hope, died with how bad the season was. Yeah. I don't want to downplay anyone who actually did die. Yeah. Look. A lot of people suffer from a lot of things. Yeah. If that did happen, it was not publicized, and I'm not aware of it. Yeah. Uh, but if it did... Uh, and I, I, I honestly get that. And this is a weird conversation to have, because it's like this weird duality thing where, yes, creators... I absolutely think creators do not own, owe anything to fans. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, fans who invested so much time... Yeah. And it, I'm coming from this as a book reader... Mm-hmm. Who hated the show after it departed from the books and killed off, well. Yes. Killed off certain characters that it shouldn't have had no right of killing off. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want, and I think maybe I'm too close to the situation to see it from a, a, a point where you're coming from where, yes, I guess they didn't do any physical harm, so we shouldn't ridicule the next 40 years of their lives. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, let's sharpen the pitchforks. Let's let's 
light the torches, we can we can go after them. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, like there's three of me, kill them. Yes. Don't kill them. And Beta Ray Bill. And Beta Ray Bill, who is more worthy than all of us, who is like, what the fuck is Game of Thrones? I have a hammer. I'm a horse lizard. Anyway, what is your third version of yourself? No, that's, that, was that, that was it. Oh, I'm sorry. You got me out of naming a third thing. <laughs> um, but I, my feelings about it is I, we are lucky for D.B. Weiss and David Benioff for the following reason. We are lucky in that so rarely in life do we have object lessons that we can hold a belief and that belief must persevere through its, like, worst possible scenarios. So, like, we can have an ideology that, like, creators don't owe anything to anyone. And that's an easy thing to say for creators that you like. Yeah. But for people whose artistic crimes are as egregious as D.B. Weiss and David Benioff, we also have to say the same of them, which is very difficult. And life rarely affords us (laughs) villains. (laughs) We're lucky to have these villains to swallow our tongue or, or bite our tongue so that we don't fall into the trap of but I'm a fan and you owe me a good ending. It's it's difficult, right? Because we all love our fictional worlds with our gray areas where you never really know what's evil, what's good. Maybe just everyone's people. Thankfully, that's fiction. In real life, there are true villains. And, and they are Ben Weiss and David Benioff. And it's, it's a much more difficult world when true villains exist. Uh, no, I hate them, absolutely. I want them to have a, a public appearance where they just grab a mic, like, before anyone can start booing, they go, we were giving, a, like, a page of notes. <laughs> A page of notes. That's all he gave us. He told us who ended up on the throne and that was it. And like, we didn't even think that was important, but he, he wanted us to know. And what, what were we supposed, what are we supposed to do? Like they're pulling their hair out. I, I very much, that's not going to happen because I don't think they're no. remorseful. Uh, nor do I think they're no. capable of remorse. You know, I, even with as bad as Game of Thrones got, I never started to truly dislike them until they started airing those like, post-season seven interviews with them, I'm like, oh, I genuinely greatly dislike these people. Yeah. It's tough. It's so tough. we learned two things. The media cannot be trusted and might be attempting to sow a version of reality that's more dramatic uh, and undercutting and underlying like positivity in an event like that. And maybe we shouldn't give the media the benefit of the doubt and also, we learned, please kill Demon Woods and David Benioff. Well, not kill. Yeah, kill with words. Mames. I'm, I'm sorry, words. did I say words? I mean swords. Mame with swords. Mame with swords. Which are super words. Super words. It's an abbreviation. It's uh, it's what they call the French. I mean, it's what the French call a... Uh, Fuck you. It's, there's a word for it. Ah, what a rapier. What an episode. The French call it rapier? They call it like a raison d'etre. A a raison d'etre. A raison d'etre. All right. Well, before you start wrapping up this episode, like, I have a a weird Peter Tingle that you're about to. Uh Uh-huh. I have one last thing to cover, and that is we are 
two short weeks away. <gasps> oh my god! From the drop of the next movie in the fuck you, the Fast and Furious Cinematic Universe, Hobbs and Shaw comes out on August 2nd. If you guys, like me, have been tearing your single pages off of your one-day calendars, and you have a big X marked on August 2nd. 2nd? On August 2nd for the release of Hobbs and Shaw, it's never been closer. And we are at a fever pitch. A stuntman has been put in an induced coma for Fast and Furious 9. Hobbs and Shaw is coming. There's Instagram pictures. The Fast and Furious universe is revving its engines. It's it was in park. The engine started. It's in first gear. Coming into second. It's taken the corner. For the first time on this podcast, you robbed words <laughs> literally no. out of my mouth. Oh, no. And said them before me, which, which just means we're on the same page. We are on the same page. I am very excited. I have watched too many trailers for Hobbs and Shaw because... I, I want to I want to com- uh, uh, applaud the marketing team. They made sure those trailers were in front of like every major movie for the past three months. I am hyped for Hobbs and Shaw, but I did have some sad news about the the filming of Fast and Furious Nine. Stuntman Joe Watts is in an induced coma following major onset accident. And for the record, Joe Watts previously worked on Mission Impossible Fallout. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, Solo A Star Wars Story, and Kingsman. That is one hell of a repertoire. That's got to be a great... I want to applaud... Joe Watts. Joe Watts for his resume. He does... He... I don't know a lot of stuntman names, but now I know Joe Watts, and now I want to get that tattooed on my brain. Double check the name. I want to make sure it's Joe Watts. Because if I have a John Watts... His no, name is Joe Watts. Joe Watts. Uh, so I said that because I was trying to think of anything that I had read about Fast and Furious. I may have come off as flip about Joe Watts' induced coma. Uh, I say this more sincerely than we say pretty much anything on this podcast. It is firmly, firmly within the thoughts and vibes of, of the Zero Credits kind of podcast studio. The Joe Watts has a speedy recovery from this, that he's back doing stunts. We wish him and his family all of the best and uh, hope for their privacy in this trying time. Uh, He has helped to contribute to something that is very dumb, that me and Henry love dearly, and uh, I hope that he gets better soon. No one should have to suffer for the creation of the most perfect film franchise. In a perfect world, no one would be injured. We don't live in a perfect world, and as such, we wish Joe Watts a perfect recovery. Yes, exactly. Uh, Sad news. Sad news. That movie looks good, though. I will say, I'm, I'm I'm glad for one thing, not for Joe Watts getting injured, but, okay, Daniel Craig got injured on the set of the next James Bond and, like, every detail about that movie was leaked immediately. Like, we know, oh, uh, Christoph Waltz was seen on set, and we know this, this person, and, and, like, we kind of know the plot now. Why? Yes. <laughs> Why is that the least guarded movie in Hollywood history? 
I'm glad that Fast and Furious 9 respects the viewer experience and it's not like we need we need news stories about Fast 9 that's not person injured on set. Hurry up, leak leak that John Cena is the bad guy or something like that. Let me posit something. Yeah. This is me editorializing onto the life of Joe Watts. Yeah. I believe Joe Watts sustained his injuries on set and then realized that if he were to be airlifted away from the set while they were filming, that the movie would have leaked and it would have ruined the enjoyment of Fast and Furious 9 for everyone who watched it. So Joe Watts then proceeded to walk calmly away from the movie set, showing no signs of injury, uh, and then collapsed outside of the studio to be taken away. <laughs> like, a, like a legally defined... Like, a, you know, uh, there, there's this thing about Disney World, no one dies at Disney World, where, like, they call an ambulance load an ostensibly corpse onto the ambulance so that they get taken to a hospital and they die there. Yes. So Joe Watts, knowing... Protecting Fast 9 walked calmly away, uh, like, a, a legally distinct amount of miles away. Yes. Maybe he drove. <laughs> Maybe he drove. <laughs> Maybe he drove. <laughs> or, <laughs> like, someone drove him away yeah. to be... And then succumbed to his his unfortunate... Yes. Whatever happened. I mean, an induced coma just means your injuries are so bad that... Uh, being in a coma is going to make it easier for you to be worked on. Oh no, is there is there news from the Hollywood Reporter? How recent? Uh, this is this is from 8 a.m. today. Oh Jesus! The accident described as a serious head injury mm. after a major fall. Mm. Maybe we should cease editorializing on. On Joe Watts' life at this point. He's stable. Good. According to his fiance. Oh, wow. <laughs> Ooh, thoughts and vibes thoughts goes and out vibes, to that fiance. Absolutely. Oh, my God. His, was... his whole family. It's a horrible thing. No, just the fiance. Okay. I don't know his home life. <laughs> yeah. We know that the, you probably have a positive relationship with your fiance, Joe Watts. So thoughts and vibes to you and your fiance and your Joan speedy Watts. recovery. And your speedy recovery. I feel like at this point we have to stop talking about Joe Watts because we can only give so many thoughts. Hobbs and Shaw in theaters. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I'm not a talk show host. Because I would... If I was a talk show host, I would absolutely end the segment with Hobbs and Shaw in theaters August 2nd. August 2nd. I'm excited for Hobbs and Shaw because you and I and our significant others. We're going to try to... Oh, uh, my wife has oh. found that uh, there's an Alamo draft house in San Diego. Nice. Where we're going to be... San Diego? Muscle Beach? Muscle... Fuck, San Antonio. <laughs> yes, in San Antonio, there is a uh, Alamo Draft House where you're going to try to buy tickets. Hopefully we can buy them. I think Alamo is like, what, a week in advance you can buy tickets? Starts on the Wednesday before, usually. As soon as they're available. We're going to buy. So tomorrow. The Wednesday before it comes out. Oh, next I Wednesday. See. Next Wednesday. Next Wednesday. Buy tickets ASAP. Whoever gets on it first, we are going to see it on our mini vacation. We will yeah. have a lot of time to digest it. We will be one of the first people 
on this cursed earth to see Hobbs and Shaw. This doomed planet. And we will walk away and not say a single word to each other hence until we record a podcast. A supplemental reading of Hobbs and Shaw is coming to you. The ninth installment in our time-honored, beloved, fa- fam-favorite, uh, fuck f- you series, supplemental reading series. Yes, I'm so excited. And now, I think we should end this. Life takes out a gun, shoves it out. <laughs> Uh-huh. Or just the podcast Just episode. the podcast, actually. I was waiting for you to interject, but you looked at me like, go on. I mean, look. And you should know, I don't own a gun. Let artists be artists. You want a gun? I'll sell you a gun. <laughs> I don't want a gun. I'll bring a gun next I don't, time. I don't I'll believe bring, in I'll guns. I'll bring a gun. All right, okay. <laughs> I'll show you one. I'll show you they're real. <laughs> I'll make you believe in guns. Wow, what a, an aggressive <laughs> stance about guns. Uh, there's two camps. There's people who are pro-gun in that they firmly believe that they exist. And there are people who are anti-gun who refuse to believe that they exist. I am. I refuse. I see guns. So you... Blue. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) You edit this week. I do edit this week. Which which means means I do the social media whatevers. If you, our fans, want to get in touch with us, you can do so at twitter.com at... ZCPCWHJ at twitter.com. And of course, that stands for ah, John. Oh shit, he's got bottle caps for eyes. Is this cool? Does that hurt? Eh, is they this got, like they a, got little sharp edges. Is this like an uncle thing? You look like Saito. My fear is that you'll punch me while I have the bottle caps on I'm my not eyes. Do that. And it will take my is eyes. Is his name. Okay, Ghost in the Shell. Oh. The guy with, like, the, the weird his clear name? eyes. Is his name Sido? Maybe. Does it start with a G? No. Oh. All right, so if you want to get in contact with us, that's ZCPC at WH... What the fuck? That's DC... What? <laughs> that's ZCPCWHJ at Twitter.com. You can also send us a longer thing at... Zero credits is a podcast at gmail.com. We pay the postage on those, so send it for free, and it's on me, Henry. Uh, we are on Facebook. You can find us by searching Zero Credits Podcast in the Facebook search bar. We post once a week. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcast. So if you use weird browsers to listen to podcasts, look look for us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and we're there. And while you're there on Apple Podcasts, because no one uses Spotify, why don't you leave us a review and a rating? It's the only thing that we ask you to do. Other than all of the other five things we ask you to do during this, leave us a rating and a review, and we'll get back to you. But last, but not least, the most important, the most schmimportant, word of the mouth is the only way we can survive. Please tell your friends, people you meet on the street, anyone you share an elevator with, some guy, Zero Credits Podcast, say it to them, say it'll change their lives, write it on a napkin, leave it at the bar, 
with your phone number. I don't know what that last part's about. Tell people and we'll be shmeeple. Let's go. And I would once again, just from everyone here at the Zero Credits studio apartment, wish the family, the friends, and the loved ones of those affected by the recent tragedy by a a lady holding a hammer. Because apparently that's like a big deal that Natalie Portman can be Thor. I'm sorry your little, tiny, fragile hearts got broken because a lady has a hammer. Please uh, rest in peace. And, and from everyone here at the Zero Credit Studio Apartment, two-bedroom, two-bathroom, not studio apartment, I need to find a new place to live. Rent is hard. We want to wish you a happy week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.